Oh, really? Yeah. That's why I bothered to put them on this morning. <laughs> well, I almost wore my sandals, but I decided to have They want to freak I didn't uh, make the prayer meeting Wednesday night at Mike and Galena's, and I emailed Mike and told him that I valued my life and I'd better stay home with with Anastasia and Pat and have a meal with them. And I disregarded his advice. He told me to be sure to stop by the cemetery on my way home and pick up some flowers. So. <laughs> If I hadn't already had some, I might have done that. But, uh, and I had this from some years ago, and Anastasia said I had to read some of this. It's Valentine advice from children. And most of them are six, seven, eight years old. And um, one of the questions is, how would you make a marriage work? And the answer from Ricky is, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) So, you you might want to remember that. How's that going, Pat? I think trucks are pretty. Let's see a pickup. Another one is, when is it okay to kiss someone? And the answer is, when they're rich. (laughs) (laughs) And another one said to the same question, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. (laughs) What would you do on the first date that was turning sour? I'd run home and play dead. (laughs) The next day I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in the dead columns. (laughs) What's the right age to get married? No age is good to get married at. You gotta be a fool to get married. (laughs) What do you think your mom and dad have in common? Both don't want any more kids. <laughs> How do you decide who to marry? You got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dips coming. <laughs> There's more, but um, we'll we'll stop with that. Um, Before we actually get into the message, just one other thing. Some years ago, there was a convention of Arkansas state troopers, and they were asked to submit the best excuse they'd ever heard for someone trying to get out of a ticket, of a speeding ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might need it, <laughs> knowing your feet <laughs> on the accelerator. The winning entry was submitted by a trooper 
who clocked a semi-tractor trailer, tractor trailer truck speeding down the interstate. The trooper pulled in behind the truck and turned his lights on, but the truck kept going. The trooper got right up on his bumper, but the truck kept going. The trooper turned on his siren, but the truck went even faster. Finally, the truck ran out of gas and rolled to the side of the highway. The trooper got out and walked up to the trucker's window. The driver rolled down his window, and the trooper asked, Did you see my lights? Yes, sir, I did, the trucker responded. Did you see me following you right on your bumper? The trucker answered, Yes, sir, I did. Did you hear my siren all those miles? Yes, sir, I did, the trucker answered. Finally, the trooper said, Then why didn't you pull over? And the, tr- and the trucker said, Well, to be honest, about two years ago, my wife ran off with an Arkansas state trooper. I was afraid you were trying to bring her back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, enough of that. (laughs) Anselm of Canterbury is a church father, and he's a great theologian and a great thinker. He's been called the second St. Augustine. And he was asked this question, He asks this question to God, and he says, How do you stare at the wicked if you are just and supremely just? And that's a mystery without the answer that Scripture gives you. How does someone that is supremely just stare at the wicked? It's a mystery about the mercy and the justice of God. Some scriptures. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? It says, By keeping it according to your word. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 2 Timothy 2 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And Titus 1 5 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, Nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. There's a song that kept going through my mind this past week. Actually, it's in the songbook. I didn't realize it. On page 10, I think. And the song is called, I Will Never Be. And the words are, I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. The second verse says, There are higher heights. There are deeper seas. 
Whatever you need to do, Lord, do in me. The glory of God fills my life, and I will never be the same again. And the chorus says, fall like fire, soak like rain, flow like mighty waters again and again. Sweep away the darkness, burn away the chaff, and let a flame burn to glorify your name. So the question that I ask myself is what things are in me that are the same as they were before I knew the Lord? And why haven't they changed? If some things haven't changed and they need to change, then the question I need to ask myself is, What is more important than a right relationship with God? Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First of all, seeing God's a gift from Christ. Because we know that his word in John 12 says, Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And the verse before this tells us that seeing means believing. So if we don't believe Jesus, we will not see God. You know, Moses had done, or he had a desire to see God, and he asked, please show me your glory in Exodus 33. And God partially answered Moses, and he was allowed to see God's back, but he couldn't see his face. This means that Moses was allowed to see what Moses in the flesh could bear to see, and what he couldn't bear to see in the flesh was withheld from him. David prayed for one thing alone, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, all through the New Testament, there runs the hope of purity because we hope to be like Jesus when he appears. First John says, And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You get the idea that purity is running through Scripture everywhere you look? The pure in heart are those that see that they are made for God and are only ultimately satisfied by seeing God. There are a number of good gifts that God gives. But the pure in heart know that there's only one ultimate gift. There's only one ultimate prize. David says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You know, if I'm never going to be the same again, I have to be saturated with God and not saturated with myself. You know, we really, these are things that 
I need to really sit down and meditate on over and over again. God says the pure in heart will see God. And he says that you've got to be saturated with him. The word has got to soak into you or you're going to be soaked with yourself. You're going to be soaked with the things of the world. You know, after Israel's idolatry with the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai, the Lord told Moses to go up to the land he promised to give him, but that he wouldn't go with him. But Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else is going to distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth if we don't walk with God and he doesn't walk with us? And he says we need to be pure in heart to do that. What does it mean to be pure in heart? What it doesn't mean is sinlessness. We know that because there's nobody in Scripture that was sinless, except the Lord, of course. The patriarchs, no one else. What it does mean is a new disposition of the heart that's totally unlike the old disposition that we had prior to salvation. And one of the evidences that we do possess a pure heart is the discovery and consciousness of the impurity that remains, that still plagues us. Purity of heart is a freedom from defilement and divided affections that's always yanking you one way and another. Purity of heart is sincerity, genuineness, singleness of heart. It's the opposite of subtlety and guile and hypocrisy. In John 1, it says that Jesus saw Nathanael come into him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, in whom there is no guile. That means Nathaniel had a heart, an honest, seeking heart for the Lord. In Psalm 51, David said, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. The secret heart means the center of your being. A pure heart delights in truth, and we're told that God looks at the heart and not at the outward appearance, meaning the whole inner being, meaning the understanding, the affections, and the will, every part. Jesus looked at the hearts of the religious leaders at, during his day, and he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed, whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, 
but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again and again we're told in the book of Romans that righteousness comes through faith and that the Jews sought to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law by their works. And anytime you see righteousness in the book of Romans, you can substitute justification. They sought to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law, which means by their own works instead of by the grace of God. And because they were God's chosen people, they began to think that they were God's choice people. They became confident that they were in, no matter how they lived, simply because they were descendants of Abraham. So Paul tells the Gentiles, don't you fall into the same temptation, the same presumptuous presumption. We must continue in God's kindness. The only way we know that God's sovereign love is upon us is that we continue, that we persevere in seeking to be like Jesus, that we have a heart that loves him above all else. That's the only way we know that we persevere. He told the Jews, you know, you've been grafted in. I told the Gentiles, you've been grafted in. You can be grafted out again. The Jews were in, they're out. The same thing can happen to you. Be faithful. The pure in heart will see God. One of the most difficult things about being a Christian is that we serve an invisible God. So why is it that we can't see God's being? Some people say it's because God is a spirit and he has no form to behold. And we as creatures don't have vision strong enough to see the invisible God. Scripture, however, tells us something a little different. He tells us that the problem is not with our eyes. It's a deficiency in the heart. That's why we can't see God. God will not allow himself to be seen by those who are impure. And it's in an impurity at the very core of our being. If there is one impurity in us, we cannot see God. What we do see in scripture is what's called a theophany. And a theophany is a visible representation of the invisible God. The burning bush is one example. Also the cloud by day and the fire by night. These are theophanies. These are visible representations of the invisible God. The glory of God that shone around the shepherds on the night Jesus was born in the stable in the flesh. But these are only outward manifestations of the inner being of God. They're not the very essence of God himself. We've got lots of questions about how, excuse me, about how, excuse me, about how heaven, but we can't answer most of them because God hasn't revealed the answers to us. But John gives us 
the promise of God. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We shall see God as he is. And then verse 3 adds a qualifier. And it continues, it says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So one reason we can't see God now as he is is that we're not pure in heart. But once we become pure in heart, meaning that every vestige of sin is removed, then we will be equipped to see the Lord face to face as he is. We've got a promise that the God whom we have worshipped without seeing is the one that we're going to behold face to face. So how do we purify ourselves so that we can see God? The question is asked and answered in the Psalm in Psalm twenty four. Says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand on his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. A pure heart refers to inward holiness and clean hands designate one who is holy indeed in his outward actions as well as inwardly. He worships the true God and not idols and he has a a right relationship to others. He does not swear falsely. This is the one who will receive God's blessing and righteousness, his justification. This tells us that the one who approaches God sincerely and trustingly will find salvation in him. C.S. Lewis said, It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. It's all about the inside. It's not about the outside. Jesus told the legalists of his day, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. The greatest glory of heaven is not that we're going to escape from pain. Although that's a wonderful thing to know. It's going to happen. The highest joy will be the ability to have direct face-to-face communion with God. And that, and see, that for which our souls were created We may not be able to imagine how wonderful that's going to be. 
not knowing God's, but knowing God's promises should make us go hard after the purity of heart that leads us to the day that we know is coming and we'll never be the same again. Thanks.